Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Everybody, good evening. Welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cami Black. Joining me this evening, we have Lisa Martin. Good evening, Lisa. Hi. And we've got John Anderson. Hello, John. Good evening, everyone. And and joining us after his laptop's finally done all its of its updates. What are you up to Windows 95 now, Craig, is it? <laughs> good evening, all. Yeah, I'm finally, you know, trying to be up to date probably for about 20 years to back you know windows 3.0 just wasn't it cutting it anymore was it exactly exactly (laughs) anyway if you're um if you're watching us live you'll be watching us on youtube twitter twitch um and uh, facebook Uh, if you prefer your podcast in an audio format you can download us on any uh, podcast um, app that you can download we're even on uh, Amazon Alexa and Google if you say Scottish Rugby Podcast it plays us unbelievably um, because someone had the foresight to think of a search engine optimized podcast name ahead of uh, the official one going out well done me anyway <laughs> on with the podcast <laughs> we're going to start this evening we, th- there's a lot of news to get through but I'm going to park the news we're going to do that at the end because I think John might cry and I think Craig might cry. So we're going to talk about some of the news later on in the podcast. I think what we need to do first, we're going to focus on this weekend's TikTok Six Nations. Uh, The uh, Scotland were up against uh, France. Lisa, that was always going to be a very challenging game. I know you and John previewed it on the podcast. And we talked about uh, this before the England game, that France and England are... There's a massive gap between the other teams and France and England. So this was always going to be a challenging game, but I think getting to half time 17 nil down, and we might come to one of the, one of those French tries in a moment. That wasn't that that was a very good first half performance. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was a, a solid defensive performance because I think there was parts of the game. Obviously, I think it was a middle third with a lot of possession there, and obviously then looked to our kicking game, but. Yeah, it was definitely good phases, good stuff put together. And we definitely really made France work for everything that they got in that first half. Um, but it was just, it was disappointing that we weren't able to shoot a shot. Like we weren't able to properly have a crack at, you know, breaking them down and, and getting some points on the board, which I think is probably what they they deserved um, with that first half performance is to go in at halftime with, with some points on the board. And that is going to be disappointing, I suppose, Craig. And we've got, I mean, we've got that last try against England at the end. Um, but to kind of finish on a nil feels a little bit harsh for all the endeavour that Scotland showed at times. Yeah, um, I, I think um, I think France's defence was was very very good. Um, it seemed to it seemed to, you know, just as as Lisa said, we we, we couldn't 
really shoot a shot at, at goal, you know. Um, I think also um, we fell in our, you know, we 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 because we're we're spending more time throwing the ball out to the wings and and throwing the ball around a little bit more because that's starting to come. You know, that's that 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 that, that sort of nice passing um uh, phases are, are looking really really good um we're, we're kind of maybe losing a little bit of the the, the forward momentum with the forwards so um uh, it's a really difficult one uh, even Chloe Rowley just when you know you could see her in the last 10 minutes deciding right I'm just I'm just gonna do this myself and get this sorted out and and she didn't get anywhere that you know the French had her covered so I think it um for me, yeah, it, it was disappointing after the first half because the first half, you know, they really had the French rattled. There was st- balls getting, you know, when the whistle was going, the balls were getting thrown about um, by the scrum half, the French scrum half, etc. And, the, you know, the, sh- the shoulders were getting shrugged a lot. So uh, there you go. I've even managed to throw in a um, <laughs> uh, a, a French, um, what's the what did they say? Um, stereotype. Stereotype. There we go. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they, they really... We seemed to have them a little bit rattled. They were struggling to see what they were going to do. And then all of a sudden, uh, unfortunately, the, the floodgates opened, you know. I think that's it, John. I mean, we, you know, a, a 40, 45-minute performance up against a team like France at this stage in, in the development of, of this Scotland team is good. I mean, obviously, we, we'd, we'd want to see more, and I think that will come. And maybe in the second half, things started to fall apart. And what I mean, you know, that... that Let's not take it. It was exceptional France team, but there were times where the Scottish defence just wasn't as well organised in the second half. There were players bunched up around the rock. The shape wasn't necessarily there when the ball was going out to the French wing, and that's that's something they're going to have to tighten up on, especially against Italy, because Italy looked very good against Ireland at the weekend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I think it, it does go back to exactly what Lisa was saying in the preview pods regarding you know that was a it was probably better than we expected. And that seems weird, despite not scoring any points. Um, there, there was a lot of good work went in there. It is a massive challenge, but I think that was a sign that they can live. You know, France, third third in the world, you know, very, very strong side. And Scotland lived with them for 35, 40, 45 minutes. Yes, the wheels came off in the end up and the score was not flattering, but there's a lot to be proud of in that performance. And I think, you know, the coaching team have talked about this weekend, uh, the, 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 sort of the Italy game and the Ireland games being the actual test of where we're at. And I think that's exactly what we've said all along, that, you know, that will give us an indicator of, you know, is this Scotland team actually going to be competitive or, or are we on, are we, are we on that journey and are we moving quite quickly along that journey or, is there still a lot of work to do? And if there is a lot of work to do, that's okay too, because this is, you know, we're, we are right at the beginning of this. So I, I was I was incredibly proud, obviously not pleased with the result, but incredibly proud of, of what uh, what transpired at the weekend. And, and Lisa, I mean, France played a very fast offloading game at times. I suppose the worry is that Italy equally played at times a very fast offloading game against Ireland. Now that's, that, that has to be incredibly hard to defend against when you've got that speed of ball coming at you? I mean, how how do you stop a team that's just kind of 
constantly offloading off the tackle and, and with a scramble defense is it is it that hard or is it quite quite easy to shut down when you've when you're organized um i think it basically comes down to first up tackles like if we can make our first up tackles make them dominant and you know win the game line battle there they're going to then really struggle but it's when I think in the second half that's when we started falling off tackles, and then we're having to pile two, three people in to complete a tackle, which then means obviously we're all having to concertina in, and they're finding an edge really quickly. But yeah, if you can get first up tackles there, and if you can try and slow the ball down, so like we said before, start towing the line a little bit more. Start, you know, you've made a tackle, hold on to them in the ball for a couple of seconds. Like we've got to start getting like playing smart and playing on the edge so it's for our game because we've we've got the experienced players who are there it's now just about like well let's actually play that a little bit let's play on the ref a little bit let's use that all release or I'll give it a wee second and then I'll let go like we've got to get a little bit more ruthless in that way and a little bit more I think in that mentality of we're really going to try and have to push this and push them off the game because like you said Italy are very skillful they're their passing is so sharp, so crisp, like they'll get it to an edge like in an instant. So if we can get up and disrupt that with, you know, like I said, winning that gain line battle, then that will hopefully throw them off their, their offloading game. But yeah, like I said, it's it's really gonna come down to to these first up tackles from from the first minute of the game straight through to 80 minutes. We can't give them a wee 20 minute block because they'll just they'll just run riot. Yeah, I mean, there was an interesting stat today, Craig. Scotland have given away twenty penalties in three games, which is which is a really low stat. That's actually quite a, an impressive disciplinary performance. But as Lisa says, and I hadn't thought of this 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 way before, actually, is that an indication that the team are maybe a little bit too honest at times? Yeah, I, I think I think uh, you know, and 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 from what I can see, and and obviously I'm not involved with any any of the. the, the you know the, the the Scotland team or anything like that, or any of the coaching, etc. But what I can see is that there's there's really really nice green shoots there that are really starting to work together. The problem is, and, and Lisa has absolutely hit the nail on the head, and it was the thing I was screaming at the TV, um, at the, at the and 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 my son was was saying the same thing, and my wife was saying the same thing. The first up tackle, the minute the first up tackle is passive. That's when they can get the ball away and start the offloading work. And then all of a sudden, then the cascade starts off. Right now, the tacklers are now going high to stop the offload. And again, we're losing we're losing ground because the because the French are getting over the gain line because the tackle has to be higher up, so they're moving backwards. And because there's the offload, they're then scrambling the defence, so you're then not able to get your foot position correctly to put a dominant tackle in. And it just... It seemed to happen far too much. We were letting the ball, um, just as Lisa said. And uh, sorry, I just I'm, I don't mean to offer no other no other opinion of just saying just what Lisa says. But Lisa <laughs> hit the nail on the head with the bloody thing, and it just uh, it's, uh, it's uh, and and that's why we have our own. Um, uh, you know, she's an expert in this, um, and it's it just seems to be that you know we are sitting back, being you know the, the penalty count does point a little bit to that um, that we're needing to just. Nasty is the wrong word, but we're needing to we're needing to just be a little bit more street smart with the game, um, and 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 it'll it, it'll be an interesting um, once the six days. Well, I'm interested to see how we go for the next two games, 
but it'll be an interesting um, evolution to the next competition that we start playing and uh, to see how that moves on, you know. And I think so that's the thing, John, isn't it? It's almost like Scotland now do the basics very well, and that's good enough at times, and that's absolutely what you need to get. You need to get your good foundations well, you need to get your passing game, ball going to hand, tackles going in, but there is that next level that, that you then have to move on to where you're doing you get your basics sorted, but then you need to start doing all of the adding to that game. And that's, I suppose it's difficult to do it in, in, against a team like France, but that's now what Scotland needs to start doing more of, I guess, as, as Lisa and John are saying, that that kind of, that edge to the game and, and showing us what this Scotland team are about. Because defensively, at times, they're very strong. Yeah, uh, yeah I think I think you're absolutely right, Cammy. I think the fundamentals are there. I think the basics are there, the basics are improving. And, you know, we've talked throughout this tournament about the quality of the basics and how, for me, it, it, it's it's come on light years already, uh, you know, just in terms of the, the speed of passing, the quality of the kicking game, the, the, the things that we probably take for granted when we watch England playing, but they do it so well. And I think Scotland are improving drastically in that, that uh, way. I think they're in a horrible position in the Six Nations, that you, you almost don't because actually I was, I was speaking to uh, speaking to my dad of all the people uh, before the England game, and he was like, "Oh, I'm going to put Scotland England uh, women's game on." And I was like, "All right, okay, cool." And he's not he's not a women's rugby fan. He, he's, he you know this was a, a casual observer, and he was shocked at the score. He was you know surprised, and it was like, "Well, you know, a wee bit of digging, Dad. That's." To a casual observer, that's, you know, Scotland are a while behind England and have been, you know, kind of blown off the park. But actually, we're all sitting going, well, you know what, we are making progress. We're, we're, we're going in the right direction, but we're doing it in this theatre that is so brutal with England and France there that it is so hard. These next two games are crucial. The Wales game was disappointing. I think that's that's the one for me that's been most annoying throughout all this. Everything's there for Scotland to take two wins. Everything's there for Scotland to be competitive in the Six Nations going forward. Um, it's just, as you say, putting those last, the last flourishes, the last tweaks on, uh, and, the, and then starting to show what Scotland are, which is a very good attacking side. Maybe, maybe we need to bring in uh, a, 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 a retiring um, Glasgow warrior to uh, bring the. Um... What's the word? I can't do. It. I can't. I can't swear when I'm on the. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure that's a good, side, so. such a good idea, Craig. Um, we, like I, fifty I, people I, on the pitch, that'd be quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> not convinced that would be a good idea. Craig. I'll tell you the word. No in tunnel the shenanigans. I'll tell you the word I was going to use in the pitching. Then that be. I can imagine it's probably quite a quite a loving, endearing term. Okay. <laughs> you keep that. You keep that that hope alive, John. <laughs> um, Lisa, that I think I've got this stat right. I may have misheard it on the commentary, but I think that Scotland have possibly lost twelve games on the bounce now. That's how does that as a player? How do how does that feel? Is that something that gets talked about, or is that is that that the back of your mind, or are you, we, you know what? Will the players be thinking? Well, do you know what we gave Wales a a, a, a good run? a couple of weeks ago we've got Italy and Ireland coming up and and you know that's those are two massive opportunities or does is that at the back of the mind that kind of oh there's there's a bit of a run here and and if we don't do things does it add some pressure 
Um, I think it does. Like, in the nicest way possible, I think I've won about, I can count on one hand how many games I won for Scotland, which is delightful. So <laughs> 12 is nothing. Um, but yeah, it does weigh on your back being like, when is this one going to come? Like, it just needs to get here. But then once once you get that monkey off your back and get that first win, it then gets infectious and it then builds and builds and builds. But like due to us obviously being in the TikTok Six Nations with arguably some of the best nations in the world every year, it's quite hard to get a run of wins going because you're going to have up against like an England and a France. So you're a bit like, that's going to be a bit of a struggle. You've then got an Italy who can be who knows what Italy's going to talk can be super competitive or can sometimes just roll over but it it doesn't ever get talked about it's not like oh, we're still not winning we're still not winning it's a case of okay well how can we now try to win again how can we try and get a win and it's it's yeah it's a tough one to be when it's you get in that bit of a rut and you're a bit like it's happened again it's happened again but you've got enough players in that squad who have won a fair number of games for Scotland and know what it takes and knows what know what it feels like to be in those tight moments to put it over the line and we just you just need those girls to to really step up and you know help these younger ones who maybe haven't experienced that much winning in a Scotland jersey and show them actually you know this is what it requires in a game um but yeah once once that monkey is off the back they're going to play with a with a bit more freedom hopefully this is probably a good chance to talk about uh WXV I don't know if is that what we're calling it? Are we calling yeah. it WXV? Down or, the kids, yeah. Or W15? Is that sounds a bit like more street? Yeah. I take a, a few letters and uh, numbers away from me 17 or where they ended up. That's show my age, isn't it? Christ. I was going to anyway. say, you talk about being street and then you bring up E17. 17. <laughs> so we've got this new tournament in uh, women's rugby. Where as that now this is this is me trying to understand it, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have said it's not that easy to understand, but essentially you have three pools, three separate tournaments, uh WXV one, a WXV two, and a WXV three, which all sound like uh, brands of cars, but never mind. The number one is the top three teams in the six nations, and then the top three teams from um the um New Zealand and the Americas. Then we have uh, WXV two, which is uh, the next lot of teams, and then 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 three below it. So at the mo, there's a lot to play for for Scotland in the next couple of games. I mean, Wales are probably looking like they would probably be the third team at this stage to to head into that that number one. And the pool, what we should say, is th- those pools are, are going to be set every year. I think it's yeah, it not a, every year. Yeah, it's going to change every year. It's not like once you get this, it's not like the world, the ridiculous World Cup draw. You get where it's like five years ahead of World Cup. We're going to draw based on who you played last week. But do you think, I mean, that's been, I suppose that's something we've talked on the podcast before, Lisa. I think we've ever kind of discussed it with, with you here is the, 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 the amount of, there is a lack of test rugby or there has been a lack of test rugby for women's teams. Is, do you think this is now a good opportunity for that to happen? Or is the fact that it's been segregated in this way maybe a, a bit self-defeating? No, I think I think it's a massive thing. I think it's it's great to have it because you've got some nations who barely played in rugby. I, I know when Scotland played Colombia in the the World Cup qualifiers, that was their fourth ever test of rugby. So now having these three different tiers and creating more opportunities for union like unions and nations to play at each other is great. Obviously, 
it's hard for us because we've got such a um well like like having the six nations it's you know it gives us that platform we've got that every year we're obviously far ahead of other nations as well so then to be those that six nation to go and play against it was like I think it's like Jamaica stuff like that who nations who are still pretty new to that is going to be I, I'm not unsure about the bottom tier of that is going to be there's going to be a massive gulf there whoever is going to be in that from the six nations playing those teams there's going to be a massive gulf I think the top two tiers will be great. They'll be super competitive, especially the top one. Um, but yeah, I think the third tier it will help bring things on. I mean, you've seen how it is with with the men with like rugby Europe and stuff, um, and the way that Georgia and stuff have, have developed and over the years as well in Spain. We're just hoping that that will then echo in this women's World Fifteen tournament. Um, but yeah, I think there's now more pressure on the Six Nations to perform well to be to get into that second tier and not be in the bottom one yeah i mean we've said this before craig is that the the trick with with this is not to try and replicate men's the men's men's rugby format because that's that's just come about because of tradition because the men in blazers in the 1800s decided that we would do tours in the summer and that the guys from the south would do tours in the autumn up here and that it's just that's what we've done. So that's what we're going to keep doing until whether or not it makes financial sense or not. So this really is an opportunity to create something new and quite <coughs> exciting. And, and and as Lisa says, bring in, not exclude those emerging nations from it. Because I think the hierarchy definitely, you know, in women's rugby, it's a completely different hierarchy from men's rugby. And rightly, we, it needs to be treated differently. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the bottom line for me, really, though, is is an encouraging sign that um, uh, that there's going to be more women's rugby played, um, and I think uh, you know, not sparing a, a certain uh, ex Scotland captain's blushes, but they would have far more caps if they got more games, and Lisa would have had far more caps um, because of her length of service with within the Scotland team. Um, there wasn't as many games played. Um, as the as the men's game, so I think if we're going to develop as a nation, and we're talking about the green shoots starting to appear within within Scotland women, um, we need the game time as a as as a professional team, um, and so having this uh, WXV or W15, whatever you want to call it, um, is going to be fantastic for the teams. The problem. Uh, the only problem I foresee, and uh, I think our, our friend Johnny McGinty was talking about it uh, the other night um, on another podcast, it's a bit kind of, yeah, there's going to be some games, you're going to be playing these, some teams, we don't know when, we don't know where, you know, and it's all meant to be happening in the summer. And it's like, well, I think you better get your finger out, people. Um, so and it must be difficult for the teams that are going to be playing in it to prepare. So um, you know, so yeah, I think I think it's encouraging, but um, let's not leave it to the Blazers to organise. No, and John, I mean, as Craig's touched upon, it is a bit. It's it's wonderful this happened, but it's all a bit vague. It's a standalone tournament in one location, determined on a year by year basis. I mean, you know, God, the Irish are still absolutely furious that we voted for France for this year's World Cup, and that was <laughs> God knows how long ago. We'll never hear the end of that. So, so we've got. We've got three every year to argue over now. I mean, 
every single one of these tournaments will be held in Ireland as of next year. Like, you know, to be honest, though, the Irish don't care about women's rugby, so they're not going to be that bothered about it. Yeah, that's true. But no, Craig, that's not true. No, 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 no. Come on, they care. They care about women as their daughters. (laughs) (laughs) You heard that very clear this week. Very clear. Very, as long as it's their daughters, that's when they care, care about women. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you, yeah. Oh, dear. Uh, yes, I, th- I think that the details of this tournament, yes, I think it is a bit vague. And I think it's, again, back, back to that sort of thing of... We, we, we've talked about it in the past, Lisa, that it's just a bit, like, get it sorted. It's not that difficult. Like, it's a tournament. You've got, you know, if, if you were... so. If you were organising at club level a uh, tens tournament in the summer and you'd invited loads of teams to them, there'd be more details available for that tens tournament, doing it, you know, doing it the whole or doing it wherever, than would be for rugby 15 or whatever we're calling it. That's not a good look. And for all the good work that's going on in terms of some of the marketing and some of the promotion of the game... We're still in this ridiculous situation where we've got this international tournament that we don't really know much about. It's it's a bit daft. The one thing I would say when this was floated as a potential option for in the men's game, Lisa, and because it, we, we did have something similar floated, and then it was all kind of brushed under the carpet at the moment. Anybody got wind of what might be happening? The the kind of argument there was this is going to devalue the World Cup. But I guess the the World Cup still kind of has its quite its uniqueness within this because those teams in the third pool will then get to meet those teams in the the, the at the very top. So it still does maintain and, and having it will be an all in one place rather than across three different locations. So that it still does kind of maintain that sense of uniqueness. I guess every four years that the best teams in the world f- across all nations will come together in one place and have that tournament. Yeah, I think I think it doesn't devalue the World Cup at all. And with the Women's World Cup now growing in terms of the number of teams that are going to be competing at it, having this WXV happening every year is actually going to help them prepare and see, okay, right, I know we're playing against Scotland, Italy, whoever. Okay, now we know what we need to work on over the next two, three years so that when we do get to World Cup, we are competitive because that's what we've seen before, and not this World Cup, but the World Cup before, when, I mean, we saw New Zealand play Hong Kong, and it was like a, a score you used to see in, in Scottish club rugby for the women. I think it was like 100 and something now. And it was just like, well, that, the way obviously it was regionalised, like, oh, you need to have one, a certain amount from each, like, area and whatever. It just, you could see the massive disparity right there. And you're but like, this this isn't the World Cup. That This isn't how it should be that teams go there get an absolute paste in and then you're a bit like oh well you know they're the best in the world it it just doesn't put women's rugby in a good light for you know your casual watchers or people who just kind of are tuning in for the first time so having like this wx15 is, is only going to help the world cup and help that as a product itself um so I, i'm excited to see how it goes i think there's been like murmurings of where certain like the tiers will be i think it's been like Singapore has been put out there, potentially a Hong Kong or Dubai, and then I think there's one in South Africa, potentially. So I know people are holding out for your Dubais and Hong Kongs, but um, <laughs> maybe less so the South Africa one. 
Um, but yeah, I think it'll be it'll be interesting to watch it to see how it goes. I, I'm gonna be an avid watcher. Yeah, all the um, all all the uh, all the countries on the uh, on the Amnesty watch list are the, for top of the uh, top of the choice for world rugby as normal. But never mind. We 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 hope it's a success. The WXXV. Hopefully that, as you say, I think Craig, it's it is the opportunity for for more international tests, and that's only going to close the gap over time. Yeah, and and that's the whole, you know, that I would. From that's the whole reason for more game time. We we need to close the gap. Everyone needs to close the gap. The the ideal situation is that all the te- you know we go into our Six Nations, say you know saying everyone has the opportunity to win the Six Nations or at least cause an upset against England or cause an upset against uh, against France um, because we're at that level now um, and Ireland need to be at that level, Wales need to be at that level, Italy need to be at that level and they're only going to get that. And also, you then, how are we supposed to talk about the Six Nations becoming the seven or eight nations like the, the, the male counterpart by not having developed teams below that. So, um, that you know, we need to have that conversation about, you know, um, whether there's a, whether Italy should be in the Six Nations uh, in the women's game like we have with it. No, maybe we don't have to have that with the male. You know, we don't have to. It does. We don't have to replicate. We can have a nice, have we can replicate. have nice, friendly banter. We don't have to, we don't have to <laughs> resort to the hatred of, Right, that's them out the Six Nations now, bringing Georgia for England every yeah. time we beat them. <laughs> but, but it is good though. It oh, it's fun. I, I recently, I, so I, in my complete um, ignorance, um, challenged someone at a pub quiz regarding Spain and the Women's Six Nations, and I, I was I was not aware of Spain's place in the Women's Six Nations for quite some time. So I learned that recently, and I was very pleased. Don't, 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 don't mention that to the Italians. He's like those two don't get on. But like we should still be there. It's like sorry. I, I can, yeah, <laughs> it, does, it does sort of indicate though. Like so, I think in the men's game, obviously, we've, you know, the fact that we're even having a a laugh about the idea of Georgia, you know, being part of the Six Nations, and you know, would would they give Wales a game? Would they give England a game? Well, would they, they clearly give, give Wales a game. They clearly give Wales a game. Give Wales a game. Yeah. Well. Well. <laughs> I think the women's game is in a, a better position in that aspect in that, yes, you do have these dominant teams, these really, really dominant teams. But actually underneath that, you know, the fact that you're sitting with, you know, two two tiers of rugby that's probably quite competitive. And then, you know, probably a team that's going to go into that third tier of uh, WXV and probably dominate that. You know, we're we're actually just at a point where we're probably just one team too many for having this amazing competition, and that's a great place to be. In. The men's game isn't in that position in terms of, you know, like the, the way it's set up. I, I, I think the drop off between you know Six Nations rugby championship teams and then everyone else is is vast. And even looking at like obviously Canada are a massive player in the women's game, not so great in the men's game. Um, there's, there's, Spain's another example. They're they're in a great position to be able to uniquely market a tournament and really create a global tournament that isn't the World Cup, but also is incredibly competitive. I, I think that's so exciting. Is the risk though, Lisa, that 
you, if you've got so much international rugby happening throughout the year in in, in women's rugby, that the the pro game underneath that, the level below, doesn't get a chance to get off the ground. Does that make sense? Do we, that, that it's it's almost like we with with the men's game, it was so the club rugby was so sacrosanct for some that there were there were the international, clear international windows created, and in between those windows, you you have club rugby taking place. But if international rugby's priority so much, does does the kind of potential kind of pathways, I suppose, in the pro level below that suffer? If there's not enough time within these two, you've got these big tournaments in between times taking place, there isn't enough time to play any club rugby, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'd hope to say that they'll, they'll bring in a bit of a, an international window for the women's game as well. So there is an ability to play some club rugby and you'll give back to the clubs who are, in theory, paying wages um, and giving all the support and whatever to these players to actually get something from them. But also from like a player welfare point of view, like you want to have these clear windows so that there is then opportunities for breaks because our player pool in Scotland especially is so small that you don't want to be flogging them for an entire year and then expect them to do it all again. Um, you'd like to think there'll be there'll be discussions with the leagues and with the nations themselves about okay, well, like we'll try and make it as like best for everyone so it fits everyone. Obviously, everyone's like league season is a bit different. I mean, the Scottish league is completely different from from the Alliance Premier Fifteens. Like, it, there's got to be there will be a little bit of a crossover somewhere because nothing's perfect, but. I'd, I'd like to see there be opportunities for players to go back and play at club. Um, but like you say, because it's so cloak and dagger, we literally have no idea what's going to happen until it happens. And it feels like it's going to be a case of the first year. We're just going to have to wing it and just see what happens, basically. And then just be reactive to it and just be like, okay, well, this didn't work. Well, we'll have to change it and do this next year. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. I'd like to hope for the best, but the cynic in me is a bit like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> could be a, lo- a lot of red flags. Yes. Yeah, especially if the uh, French women's season goes the same way as the men's season, where it just never end, never seems to end until it, until it absolutely has to. I think it's like May or uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it's like May time they finish, if yeah. I remember rightly. There was always, there's always that tightness of kind of getting players released for summer tours and, and things like that, isn't there, with the French ones? Um, I think that's everything we've got. So the only thing I wanted to just add was I was reading the offside line preview of the uh, Scotland-Italy game. And I, I, I obviously, I was a bit of a surprise to see uh, Jade Conco-Roberts named at lock. But what I hadn't realised, Craig, is that she's actually played prop at international level before. Yeah. <laughs> she has. Um, uh, yeah, I was a little bit surprised because... Because obviously, you know, we all know Jade as number eight, sometimes back row, you know. But um, I'm, I was interested to see Brian Eason's comments on it, and I think it's he seems. To, I think he's decided that we're not. Well, in my opinion, from what I can read, he's we're not getting enough go forward ball from the forward pack. So he's he's bringing it. He's wanting to bring in as many you know as many go forward forwards as he seems to think that that's what what's going to happen. It'll be interesting. Maybe there's a game plan. Maybe you've seen a weakness in in Italy as well. Um, and maybe we're you know with as Lisa was talking about um, 
Italy's uh, beautiful offloading game and, and, and sharp hands. Maybe he's decided that we're going to start putting the ball up the jumper and, 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 and going down route one. I, I just don't know. But um, Jade's, Jade's Jade, and, and as, as my, I'm sure you could put her on the wing, just a little bit like myself. You could put her on the wing and she'd, <laughs> she'd, play, she'd play a fantastic game. So, uh, you know, it's one of those situations. I, I, I'm just, uh, it's going to be one of those situations that'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. That must be an interesting conversation with the referee, Lisa, when uh, you, you, you pull your number eight and say she can play prop, sir. <laughs> so that, can... that was great. That Ireland, I think it was a, we played Ireland at Donnybrook and we'd gone down to 13 players at this point. And they were a bit like, right, who can we put in the front row? And we're like, oh, your number eight's going to go in. The ref was like, excuse me. I was like, yeah, number eight's a prop as well. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and Jade's face was just like, I hate you, Shade. Because <laughs> Shade's big thing was like he wanted to have a really mobile pack, so he was like, "We're just gonna have to do it." I was like, "And you know what? We'll put you there. I put you at prop because then you make sure really mobile prop, and we need that." So that I think that's potentially another reason why he's put Jade up into the row and brought um, Rachel McLaughlin back in is to give mobility in that back row because last week we're very they're very samey samey like they're big they're physical but. They're they're just three reincarnations of each other. I think having Rich McLaughlin there will then help counteract Locatelli and Jada Franco, who are really mobile off the base, get around the park a lot, and, and you know are on the end of things. So I think yeah, I think that'll massively. I think that's potentially another reason. Um, well, looking into it, not really reading much of what Brian has to say. Um, but yeah, yeah. It'll be an interesting game this weekend. We look forward to it. Let's see. Hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed. We'll, well, I'm, I'm not going to ask you for score predictions for this one because I think it'll be tight and it'll be difficult. I'm more hopeful for the Ireland game, I think, but we'll see. We'll see how everything pans out and we'll talk about that next week. We're going to move on now. We've got a lot of news to get through. I'm not going to... I, Craig, we, we will talk tangentially about the um, Ospreys game Um John, if you want to talk about the Scarlets game and how painful that was, uh, you, you may do at various yeah. points if you want to bring that up. Yeah, um, but there's two big retirements announced um, since we last recorded. Uh, the first one, John, I'll make you cry first. Uh, Ryan Wilson, it's not a retirement as such, but he's leaving Glasgow at the end of the season. It was a massive kind of coverage of this pre-game and post-game, you really got the sense that this is not Ryan Wilson's choice to leave Glasgow at this point. He's not yeah. ready to retire. Yeah, Is it the right time for Ryan Wilson to go? We talked before, big club man, obviously does a lot for the from a, a pastoral point of view, seems to do a lot for the players, especially the new guys coming in. But maybe from a playing point of view, it, it's the time to go. I mean, he's been past it from a playing point of view for for quite a few years, let's be honest. And you're not going to get tears from me in this. Um, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad Ryan Wilson's going. Ryan Wilson will be one of the bigger earners at Glasgow at, the, at this current point. I think Franco Smith has set his stall out quite early doors, what he expected from his players. Ryan Wilson was a player who got injured quite early on, so we'll never know if he would have fitted into what Franco Smith was trying to do. But the fact Kyle Stain was made captain, you know, the fact there was a wholesale change at Glasgow speaks volumes about some of the senior players who were there. And I think Ryan Wilson will not be the only senior player who will be on his way. Bear in mind, Ryan Wilson was out of contract last year and everyone was shocked he got a contract. 
we actually still don't know if he did. It didn't seem like he did. But what do you think about you think what you think he just kind of like turned up to work on yeah, the Monday? It was, it, it was like Milton just... in uh, office space. He just kept <laughs> turning up to work and he got a wage and then you know he he, he got upset because his stapler got stolen and he burned down the, the, the building. That's what <laughs> happened. Um no, I, I, Ryan Wilson from a rugby perspective has been past it for a few years. Ryan Wilson from a punditry perspective annoys the life out of me. Um oh. The, the the Wilson Haskell Banks Brigade. I am not going to be part of this. Um, I'll be delighted if Ryan Wilson severs ties with Glasgow and goes off to do his media career, and does it completely out with my sphere of uh, any sort of interest because I'm I'm pretty done with that. There's there's no point in shying away from the fact he has played a lot of games for Glasgow. He's been I think his probably his peak time with Glasgow. Aside from championship winning time, was around that COVID time. You know, it, it did provide a lot of support to a lot of players at that time, and for that, for that, we will be grateful. But sport is not a sentimental uh, beast. It is time to go, and off he goes. The only person to ever be sentimental about was Richie Vernon. So <laughs> that's because he played where he wanted to, John. <sighs> Lovely breaker of chains, destroyer of defenses, King Richie. <laughs> Lisa is I mean obviously you get these players that come along from time to time and are real kind of they're, they're club club players used to be the, the old the old fashioned word would be club men the guys who kind of encapsulated what a club was all about at various times and I think there is that element of whether it's a and this is interesting this is this applies whether or not it's a pro level or, or an actual club club level you get these guys who, that are just they're almost they are the club, and and in a way, it's it feels a little bit like the old yellow time that you have to at some point someone has to do the decent thing and take them around the back and tell them it's time to go because there are younger, better, hungrier players coming through. But that has, to, I mean, you know, how um, I suppose the question is how much of an inf- is is it hard sometimes to let the kind of club club guys goes the guys that have that kind of influence? Do you think or? Does there need to be a bit more ruthlessness in selection? I think a bit of both, to be honest, because obviously you're going to have people that epitomise a club and that, that you know are basically in with the bricks and can pass on all the stories and say, like, you know, this is how things are and uphold team culture and everything like that. But I think there needs to be, like, a process of them passing the reins on and, like, not holding on for dear life, being like, oh, I'm still here, like... I, just accepting and saying, okay, well, what what use can I bring to the squad now? If I'm not able to then, you know, do stuff on the pitch, okay, how can I help off the pitch? How can I transition into that? And I think that's maybe something that needs to keep developing because very like it can often be cutthroat. And you know, rugby players we often are just pieces of meat that you know get picked up and put down whenever we're of use. But yeah, I think it it's a hard one to be honest because obviously you. As a player, you're like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to let go. You know, it's this big scary thing of what's going to be next, especially if there's a lot of uncertainty there. But you also need to be quite realistic yourself and be like, you know what, well, actually, this is my time to go and do something else because there are people who are younger and better than me who can take the club further. But you do still need the odd couple of of club men there to be the club really and and tell the newbies and all that like what it's all about and what it means to play for that club and play for the jersey. And and then Craig, you've at Embra had your own club 
player uh, announced his retirement this time. And this is, you know, a one club player, um, Stuart McAnally, who's almost the, the polar opposite of Ryan Wilson in a way. <laughs> in the, you know, it's maybe, I think with Stuart McAnally, we were kind of, you know, he'd maybe, they, they still felt like there was something to come from Stuart McAnally, that he could possibly kind of come back from some of the recent setbacks and he maybe still had a little bit to give. But understandably, and, you know, I think not surprising to anyone who's, who, who followed him on his YouTube channel when terrifyingly he would take Scotland Internationals up and fly them around Fife through <laughs> the pre-Six Nations, and you'd be absolutely terrified of what was going to happen. But, you know, it has gone from a comp- for a completely different career. And he is a club player, Stuart McAnally, and he's the but, but in a, I suppose in the Ross Ford mode, in the kind of much more quieter way of someone that's there, it, and and epitomizes what the club's about, but not in that noisy Ryan Wilson kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rambo got his nickname from the pitch and his headband rather than uh, the outfit he wore while he beat someone up in a kebab shop. Um, so uh, it's one of those situations where it is definitely chalk and cheese. Um, so uh, as far as I'm concerned. Don't get me wrong, Ryan Wilson has, you know, to serve the amount of time he has for Glasgow, people can be, Glasgow supporters are quite, um, uh, they, they are quite welcome to call him a club legend and, and, and that's their team and, and fine. Um, but Rambo is one of those uh, players that, um, you know, we, you know, someone who, who can <laughs> go into contact, spin and then accelerate and he's a front row player. Okay, he was a back rower, and then he came up to the front row. But um, you know, he has served Edinburgh incredibly well. Um, we are we are a better team of with having Rambo, um, Stuart McAnally in the team, um, and the lift he always gave when gave everyone within uh, Edinburgh <laughs> the Edinburgh stands when it was. Peeing down in Murrayfield, and there was a fifteen hundred people there, all looking at their chips, thinking these are cold. Why did I spend a tenner on them? Um, and he always gave us a lift uh, when we were out at um, uh, at Myerside um, in the freezing cold. He always gave us a lift. I remember a, a try he scored at Myerside. Um, I forget who we were playing against, but he took the ball at pace and did the same thing he did in that draw um, against uh, England, where he got the ball about. Probably at the uh, on on our side of the of the halfway line, and then realised that oh god, I'm going to have to run all the way to the try line, um, and uh, he did incredibly well. He's one of those players that's that's really produced a lot, and and uh, you know I uh, I'm glad he's getting the chance to retire the way he wants to, and um, and and you know he's been a fantastic player for Edinburgh. The the fascinating thing about Stuart McAnally, Lisa, is he's. He was almost one of the first of a breed of new professional player that, and I said, you know, he's a polar opposite of Ryan Wilson, who's still that kind of very much old school kind of banter, 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 you know, kind of getting on the podcast with with Max Laheef and his four Shakespearean boring kind of <laughs> shtick. But Stuart McAnally is one of the first players, I think, to kind of really talk openly about his his own mental health. And I don't mean that in kind of mental health issues, but his mental well-being and how that's affected him, particularly post-Japan. And 
that I think has really kind of helped to create an environment where we've now got you know Harry Morgan and the Ospreys kind of talking openly about about his experiences. And I think with one of the things we have to kind of, I suppose, give Stuart McAnally credit for is that he has been very open as a player about the difficulties that he's faced. And that has opened doors for a lot of other players to do to do similar things. Yeah, I think that's the thing is we just need people to be honest and open and make it make it not a taboo subject and say, you know what, it is normal to feel like this and it is normal to, to have this sort of emotion during your career, post-career, all that sort of stuff. And like I'll put my hands up as well. I've really struggled with my mental health when I've been playing rugby, especially when I was in France. I I completely resented rugby at that point, and I was ready to completely pack it in. But it's it's one thing being open about it, but it's another thing finding that well, what's the next step? Well, how can I get help? Who's there to help me? And that's also another scary thing. Is like, well, if I say something, well, what's going to happen? Like, I've even had it before where I've not been selected because they're like, oh, you're not mentally strong enough for rugby anymore. And I'm like, well, you want me to be honest with you and say I'm really toiling here. But on the other hand, you're a bit like, well, I've told you this now, so actually go and just have a wee moment to yourself and not play again for a little bit. Um, it's, yeah, I think I massive kudos to these guys coming out. And, you know, Rambo is, like you say, is one of the new breeds and has started that that trend of, you know, what is a professional rugby player looking like? And especially coming straight out of school, straight into a pro contract. Okay, well, how can I be a professional? And has shown that his entirety of his career and, and really focused on the other things outside of rugby to keep him, you know, balanced. Obviously, with his flying, with all the stuff he did with Demo, with the coffee as well. Like, he had a nice balance there. And I think that that was key. And, and yeah, just having that honesty and saying, you know, this is what helps me, this is what's not helped me, this is how I felt. And I think it'll help everyone, regardless of, of what level they're playing at, whether they're pro, whether they're playing down in like, you know, East 2 or whatever, saying that, you know, it's normal to really struggle with it at points during rugby is great. And I think more more people should come out and, you know, be honest about themselves. I think, John, you know, that. It, certainly kind of fans or, or people that watch rugby are guilty of, of what Lisa's just kind of highlighted there, that kind of like, oh, that, you know, that person's not mentally tough enough. But it yeah. kind of doesn't recognise the kind of strength it takes to kind of hold your hand up and say, I am struggling. And to do that publicly, even as, as you know, Stuart McAnally did, uh, to, to kind of talk about that publicly is mental strength in itself. And I think I, I would rather have 15 players that are prepared to talk openly about these issues and how they affect themselves and 15 players who are just going to put up the fronts and and kind of yeah have have the bants and and you know that 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 that's what I would rather watch and who I would rather listen to and I think in a way that shows a level of mental resilience that if you're willing to be open and really willing to kind of prepare to show that vulnerability to one another you, you're a stronger you become stronger for it yeah i mean so as a west west of scotland guy um, it is not traditional for you to be terribly in touch with your emotions or express them in any way, shape, or form, unless they're anger and disgust. And actually, for me, seeing guys like Stuart McAnally, seeing guys now like Stuart Hogg, um, guys coming out, guys who I've watched in a Scotland jersey, who, you know, believe it or not, despite some of the things I say, I do want Scotland to win. Um, these guys are my heroes. And to watch these guys kind of come out and speak out about their struggles and things they're going through and how, you know, they, they've felt in these positions, it's helped me a lot to actually be 
able to to express stuff and i've i've found in my professional career i now value that more i value the ability so i'm very honest in my professional career about mental struggles and when other people are as well it's it's amazing and you know i i create a culture where that's the case and it's because of guys like Stuart McAnally who've stood up and been able to do that in the toughest of environments to do that in so i i'm incredibly grateful to these guys because it's it's helped me in my life so you know that, that that's as big a compliment as i can give yeah I think that's the thing. That's the legacy, isn't it, Craig? You know, you have a you know someone who's essentially kind of maybe seen as as the quiet guy, like Stuart McAnally. But but that's the, the legacy is that is you know that's what a modern model pro looks like, isn't it? At the end of the day, is you know there's a guy who's maintained interest out of rugby, and that that video was you know that that I don't, I don't think I've seen a better retirement video you know from rugby than that of saying I'm the small you know that that opening I'm I'm the small guy. I was a small boy in front of the glass watching the airplanes take off at Embry Airport. You know that what what a way to go. Yeah, that that, that was really uh, quite quite taken by it. Obviously, I'm because I'm an Edinburgh fan and and I've grown up watching. You know, grown up. Sorry, my I I got uh, when I started. How watching, old were you when Edinburgh were created, Craig? When yeah, I was shut up. Right, okay. Um, it wasn't well, 1872. That's a lie. That's not the <laughs> Edinburgh was created in 1998 or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was old. Uh, I was old then. Um, I think. I think for me, you know, seeing that, I thought. I thought it was incredibly classy. It was very. Uh, it, it was a really nice sign off. But also, um, it was great to see, for example, Edinburgh Airport following up with. It was great to. Uh, great to have you there and uh, all hashtag always Edinburgh as well and it just kind of because we're trying to build this sort of the 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 the, the thing that Glasgow has of they they want to be part they want the rugby club to be part of the city and and Edinburgh's always struggled to en- engage the rugby club into the city so it was great to see Edinburgh Airport being involved it was great to see. Uh, the black, you know, all the pictures were taken really well, and all the stuff was done very well. But for me, again, it's it's we're going back a little bit to what you're talking about with the mental health and and the, and the 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 new professional. You've got to look at that quiet guy who has admitted um, that he needed to, to take some time to to deal with his um, his mental health, etc., to make sure he's 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 a strong stronger person. Still. Uh, incredibly physical in a rugby field has been captain. Has been captain. You know, you don't have to be the the hard nut that doesn't talk about anything, um, uh, and and to get to where he got to. And also the um, we keep going on about rugby culture and rugby, you know, rugby values. Hashtag rugby values. There's someone who is not only to his teammates but also to other rugby players all around Scotland. Um, a role model, you know, someone that you can turn in and say, "There's a guy you, you should be like," you know. So yeah, um, a fantastic player and a, and a great send off for him. Yeah, I think John, you've got you've got you've got John's got John's put his hand up. It's all right, John. We're not in school. It's fine. <clears throat> no, I'm, I'm just addressing. He did play for two clubs, though. He played throughout. Did he play for Bristol? Did he? That's that's five times five times for Bristol. Okay. So, we'll okay. let you have that. 
at the I, end, I'm John. just saying, like, just get the marketing right, guys. Like, it's not difficult. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to sit there quietly. Because I'm right. Thanks, John. I had a really nice ending to the podcast. thought we've got to a really nice point. <laughs> Right, we've rounded off, Craig had rounded all our discussions off really lovely. And I was going to go, right, and that's it for this week. Thank you, everyone. Great discussion we've had. But John had to go, he's not a one club man. You know, he played for Bristol for five games. Cammy, like, <laughs> you know fine well that our fans would not be expecting that. So they would, they would Very obviously true. have been determined for me to come in and burst that beautiful bubble that everyone had had contributed to i'm grateful for it john thank you very much there's an airport <laughs> at bristol maybe that's why maybe that's maybe that's why you went there, there. is it's a pretty you, airport. imagine what, what a rugby future. career I'm, I'm prepared to move clubs but only if there's an airport nearby <laughs> right anyway that's it from us for this week for the main podcast if you are a patreon and you're watching live you can hang around for the patreon special podcast if you're a patron you can listen and download your separate episode of the patreon special podcast but for this week it is goodbye from me and goodbye from john craig and lisa bye bye If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.